Hi, this is Nancy Arvizu, and you are listening to Write, Speak, Play. As a communications professional for almost three decades, Cherie Ann Martinez has written extensively for the American Red Cross and Goodwill Industries. She is a poet, a contributor to NPR, and author of Rude Awakening, a true crime thriller. Cherie is currently at work on her second book, Tempered Soul, Surviving Trauma, Grief, and Bipolar Disorder, about her dark struggle with the aftermath of child abuse, devastating grief, and her long battle with bipolar disorder. Learning how to survive and thrive, Cherie hopes this book will help others dealing with tragedy and mental health issues. Discussing her writing style, Cherie states, I have lived a life that leaves me no option but to torture paper with pen. I do so with the hope at least one soul will be set on the road to recovery. She infuses her writing with personal, painful, sometimes graphic, but ultimately hopeful insight. Cherie graduated cum laude from Apachalan State University with degrees in communication and marketing. An avid outdoors woman who loves camping, whitewater rafting, and digging in the dirt, Cherie calls the mountains of North Carolina home. In this episode, Cherie joins me to discuss her current work in progress, Tempered Soul, Surviving Trauma, Grief, and Bipolar Disorder. Okay. So, Sherry... You, after an amazing career of writing about everything, it seems, but mental illness, trauma, grief, bipolar disorder, all of a sudden you decide to write this book. It wasn't all of a sudden, was it? Not at all. Um, It's been something coming out of me in poetry and essays that I've written, personal ones that I've really never shared with anyone. Um, But now I have the time to devote to this emotional process of putting my experiences down on paper with the hope that some of the things I've gone through might help someone else who is facing similar adversities. So where are you in this journey? What, you know, where are you as of today? Nancy, I'm in a very good place. It took a long time to get here, a very long time to get here. But um, I, and it was a combination of things. As you already know, I did suffer childhood trauma and I did experience a, a long, long period of devastating grief. But behind all of that, and I guess interwoven into that was my struggle with bipolar disorder. Now that went undiagnosed for decades and decades. In retrospect, I can see where it was in my life. 
but bipolar disorder is something that exacerbates as you age. And in my 40s, it became, um, it really began to decimate my life. But, you know, after um, finally being diagnosed correctly and then going through another period of time, it was about five years uh, before they were able to um, find the right combination of medications that began to allow me to manage my disorder and to, you know, become uh, a productive person, a person who has joy in her life. And, um, you know, it's, I'm very productive. I've, you know, I, I just published uh, one book, uh, a true crime thriller, I guess you would say. Um, and I'm also working on a collection of my poetry um, from over the years. And you see a lot of the grief and pain I struggled with in that work. But this is one, as you said, it didn't start all of a sudden. It's been, I've written bits and pieces and thoughts and uh, phrases and things that are all becoming a part of what I'm working on now. But again, I'm in a good place. I'm, I found joy, I'm productive. I, you know, have great hope. Um, so, you know, life is good. <laughs> I didn't, I wasn't sure it ever would be again. It's amazing to get to that place. And so in the book, Tell us about the book. What, where, what parts of your story are you sharing, and um, how are you leading people to their own realization that there is something wrong? They can get help, and then what? Um, I it's it's a brutally honest um, manuscript. I would say I am. Um, I reveal some things that are hard to write and and hard to share. But my feeling is if I don't share some of those things that I might not reach someone who does need to know that there is, you know, there is joy again. You know, one of my favorite sayings that I have coined is, despite our worst sorrows, life does go on, revealing along the way new reasons for joy. And um, that, that, to me, you know, says, says so much, because the things I went through, you know, I was taught early on to basically hate myself, that I was worthless. And it took me many years to um, find out that it was okay to love myself and to acknowledge that I had talents and abilities. Um, but then even at, at going through those moments, the bipolar aspect, you know, really affected my ability to maintain that on a sustained basis. I don't know if I answered that question right. 
Well, it, it brings up other things for me because we're talking not just about trauma, we're talking about mental illness that comes from different not all mental illness doesn't come definitely only from trauma. It comes from different parts of our bodies not working correctly. So having to put those two things together um, and also coming from a place where you're not being heard, what's it like to finally, what was that like having not being heard and having to be your own advocate while going through all that? Well, as a child. Yeah, you don't understand that it's, you know, yeah. both sides, you know, I guess that's my question is, when did it finally dawn on you that you're dealing with two very different parts of you that are not working together in order to make you whole? Where do you, where do you, where's that moment happen? Well, <clears throat> my first, I remember the first time I ever felt depression and I, I was 13 years old and there's a great irony there because the man that had done everything within his power to decimate my spirit had died and it seemed that I began to take over his abuse and I do remember those first feelings of overwhelming depression although at 13 years old I'm not exactly sure I understood what was happening um, as I began to go through my teens at 15 I knew things were going wrong um, I did not want to live I did hate myself and um, and at that point I did begin to hurt myself as a way of exorcising the pain I felt within. Um, a couple of years later, I finally was diagnosed as clinically depressed. And actually that was not the case, once again, in retrospect. Um, but for years, every, you know, I went through so many different events that, where I ended up, you know, in the hospital or seeing um, a doctor or a psychiatrist, and still my mental disorder was not diagnosed. It was always you're clinically depressed, you're clinically depressed, but I knew something was wrong. And um, I don't know how graphic you want me to be, but um, in my early 20s, I made several serious attempts to take my life and ended up being committed um, to a um, mental facility. Um, something I outline in my book is back then, they were not nice places. I, I'm not sure if they are today, but you know, you hear about, you know, trendy clinics and you know, rehab centers and things like that. But back then, these were scary places. I mean, it, it was up on, I remember people used to refer to it as, she's on the eighth floor because the eighth floor was the basically the psych ward. And, um, and I guess I was about 20 when um, 
as I say in my prologue, I was ushered through those gates and they were padlocked. I mean, they were literally padlocked behind you. So it in a way was a prison and it was a prison where I experienced the extremes of mental illness. And it, it was a terrifying experience, but um, I was there for about two months and uh, under, I was, you know, medicated and under, you know, psychiatric guidance and counseling. And finally, um, I was deemed fixed. <laughs> I was not fixed, but I had come to some, some revelations in terms of what I wanted to do with my life. And so after being released, uh, I went back to school. Um, I knew what I wanted to do. I've always wanted to write. And um, so I went back to school. I graduated with honors and I started a career um, in communications and public relations, a career that I loved very much. But I was high at that. I learned how to really hide my illness because, um, you know, mental illness, it, even today, and, and it's sad to say, and it's one of the reasons I write this book, you know, discrimination and the stigma, stigma of mental illness still exists. And that has led me to become a very vocal advocate for those you know, dealing with mental illness um, and trying in my small ways to help alleviate some of that stigma. Um, back when I, uh, when I actually, after I graduated from college, um, I was, um, I, I was offered a job, but back then on your applications, you had there were there was there were questions about your mental health and i i remember um one of my um one of the managers came in and to the office where there were 20 other people you know sitting around and she said i need to get those papers from your psychiatrist before you can officially begin and i was i was humiliated I mean, it, you know, again, it, it was a mark of shame, you know, to be dealing with a mental illness. And, you know, people, people, one in three people have some sort of mental um, condition, some type of, you know, mental illness, and they do live productive lives. But um, after the Americans with Disability Act was passed, no one could ever again ask me about my mental health history. But I just think back to that as um, the humiliation and the stigma that, that you know, was so outright back then. And unfortunately it still exists, but um, as I said before, no one can ever ask me again about my mental health history. I'm at a point in my life now, well, I will gladly talk to you about my mental health history. <laughs> and, you know, my, 
my real hope for the book that I'm working on now, Tempered Soul, is again, I just hope I can help. If I can help one person suffering, or perhaps I can help someone understand better, you know, so they don't shy away from people with mental illnesses, because that's another factor. Um, I watched a lot of my friends drop by the wayside as my bipolar exacerbated. And, you know, people I've been, you know, my best friends, um, which was extremely painful. And, uh, but I, I've learned to, to forgive and accept because bipolar in its extremes, Nancy, is extremely ugly. <laughs> it is. And it was pretty ugly until I, you know, finally did get the medication and the help I needed to go on with a productive life. You know, it's interesting that you spent a career in communications and yet it's our inability to communicate effectively about mental illness and about our feelings and what we think and how our beliefs become our thoughts, become our actions, but our words, not being able to express them freely, not being able to find someone to talk to about them and being okay with that. And think of you're sitting in that room with all those other people. And this woman says something, I wonder how many other people sitting in that room might have been seeing somebody or might have needed to see somebody. And if the situation had been presented differently in an open environment, somebody would have asked, maybe, maybe might've asked, how did you go see that? Why, you know, I have this, maybe I should see somebody. Right. Amazing. Isn't it? It is. And I do think there is, um, more of a willingness to talk about it today, much, 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 much more than back then. Um, because, you know, I have conversations frequently with people um, because I have made it known, um, you know, that I'm on this mission to educate and to hopefully help. Um, so I do have people who I never would have expected, you know, send me an email or even, private message me on Facebook or, you know, ask me, come to me and, and talk to me about, you know, what's going on in their life. And um, being able to talk to someone about it is so important. Um, as you mentioned, uh, as I said earlier, Nancy, um, you know, I got very good at hiding it over the years. One of my doctors actually told me that I had learned to overcompensate. Um, and that's why I was able to have a successful career until it crumbled at the end, but after 30 years. But, um, but there are so many times I, I remember hiding, you know, especially the depressive part of it. I think um, in my career, maybe the manic part of bipolar, um, you know, may have actually made me more successful because um, when you're manic, uh, you know, there's, you're so euphoric and you, 
you you start out so productive and your your ideas are just you know coming by and um but you know the downside of that when it when you you're not the high part it's the low part that people want to be around the high part they don't want to be around the low part right and in one of my big frustrations um with depression was people who just said oh just snap out of it you're you know you're just taking things too seriously you need to get over it and you know things like that were frequently said to me by close friends that could not understand um but i will i will mention something relative to what you just said about they want to be around the high parts the first part of mania is it's wonderful. It's very addictive. It's, you know, you feel like you can do anything, you know, again, the euphoria and um, you seem to be able to focus and, you know, put, you know, be, like I said before, be so productive. But what happens is as mania escalates, it becomes very, very scary and very destructive. I mean, for me, for me, mania was a more dangerous extreme for me than the depression. Um, and that's when it gets ugly. You can be grandiose, practice risky behavior. Um, you can have rages. And uh, I assure you, people don't want to be around that. <clears throat> See, that's part of it. We don't know what it all entails. If you've not experienced, or maybe you have experienced, but you've never understood that that is part of having that disorder. Right. Because we don't know. Oh, and, and as I mentioned earlier in our conversation, it went diagnosed for so long, so long. So I was not getting the help I needed. I, you know, I, I was on antidepressants and in actuality, any antidepressants can sometimes have a negative effect on bipolar disorder. Uh, so I was not getting the help I needed. I was not getting the treatment I needed. There was no one that I could really talk to it about. So I think that's one thing that, you know, motivated me, for lack of a better word, to begin writing extensively about what was going on um, in, inside of me, because there was no, there was no safe place to share the ugly, terrifying, sad thoughts that raced through my mind. So now, where you are now and in treatment and therapies and in, in drug treatments even, how do you think, is it different? Is it better? Do you think this kind of, our, of our healthcare is getting more, the better attention, not just more attention, but better attention, better understanding? What do you, what do you think about it going forward? Um, I, I do think that, um, bipolar or manic depressive as they called it for many years has moved more in the forefront 
and so it is in the list of diagnoses that doctors have and there there is information out there that might help a person question could it be possible that i have this so that they can hopefully begin to get the treatment they need yeah it seems like as a taboo subject we don't talk about it and what we can't talk about we can't manage but now that we're talking about it more and hopefully helping other people see hey you know this isn't normal this isn't normal in me maybe it's not normal in another person that they're close to and being able to have that safe space knowing you're being heard it still comes down to the words we use are we able to really identify what's going on inside of us do we need to make up new words here do we need to coin new words in order to really explain what's going on because you know science is evolving why can't our language and the words we use so that's something we should think about is how are we describing and how are we hearing it what do we know about those words we're using well there's so there's so many negative words out there mm. um I, I get on my soapbox about the media quite a bit because how it's portrayed mental illness is portrayed in the media is uh, a, a travesty um crazy insane uh, uh, she's on mental health she's on uh, mental med medicine so you know and the the intent with that saying is that there's something wrong it's it's something bad and you know so i know those words i know a lot of the words that incite stigma and uh, uh, make a person feel less than whole or you know you cannot help if you have a mental disorder a mental illness it um and bipolar is a genetic um a genetic disorder that affects the chemistry of the brain so many of the other um you know, conditions that you hear more and more about today, you know, well, um, panic disorder, post, you know, PTSD and um, anxiety disorder, OCD, um, the full range of them. Um, they, they are all, they all have the same factor that they are um, a, a chemical disorder in the brain. Now, with bipolar, it is it is exacerbated by childhood trauma or trauma really at any point in your life. So um, people can go years and years without realizing there, there is anything going on with them. Um, as far as words, <laughs> I, I think that's an excellent point. Um, you know, and I guess as I write the book, I do think about the words that I use um, and, you know, as a way of trying to explain, you know, how and why and what was going on as I went through some of the most um, turbulent points in my life. And then it's not just the words you use in describing what you're going through, it's the words that 
those are who are listening to you use. And yeah, we have to learn more about what people are going through. And the only real way we do that is to truly listen. Thank you. I agree. I agree so much. Um, and listen and be heard. <laughs> I, I was I was going to mention one aspect. Once I was correctly diagnosed with bipolar, I still I, I, I remained in the closet. I did not I hid it. I did not want anybody to know I had a mental illness. And that went on for uh, a number of years. And I guess as I began to get better, as the, the therapies I went through, the medications I was prescribed, which that was a nightmare getting to the right ones. But as I began to see, um, again, the stigma, I decided, you know, I'm not staying in the dark anymore. And I stepped out of the closet and I started talking about it and I started talking about it a lot. And it was amazing. Again, there were people who didn't want any part of it. And, you know, seriously, uh, my best friend actually told me, she goes, I just can't, I can't deal with this. And that, and it pretty, it ended our friendship, but I was surprised how many people who did respond to me and say, oh my gosh, you know, I've been through that, or I've, you know, I've had these feelings, or, you know, do you think I might have bipolar, or, you know, what might it be? What were your feelings? How did you respond? How did you get to where you are today? And that, I think that was a, a large impetus in writing this book. Because when I did open up in, you know, in situations where you might not think that would be an appropriate um, coffee table talk or whatever, um, people were sort of hungry for information. It's, you know, people who were dealing with similar feelings, you know, similar behaviors, um, who didn't really know what was going on. They just assumed, well, that's just the way I am. But by knowing there was a hunger for information that might help somebody, you know, that really inspired me to, you know, begin to begin to talk even more about it and using various platforms as an opportunity to tell my story and also show people, you know, some of the paths to regaining your control over your own life. So I have a question when we talk about mental illness and those labels, do you say you have bipolar or you are bipolar? That's a very good question. I think I am, I am a rapid cycling, treatment resistant, bipolar one. <laughs> but I, I have it. I, I am clinic clinically defined as that. But 
I really don't want it to define me. Um, Maybe it's just one of the outfits you wear that's in the suitcase that you carry along your journey, right? It's just a part that is there. It's always there. Right. But it sometimes it's what you're wearing that day. Well, I wrote a, um, a commentary for NPR a while back, and one of the big statements in it was, um, I have a disorder. It does not define me. Right. So, yes, it, it's in my suitcase. <laughs> <laughs> but that's why we have to unpack it. You know, we have to let other people know I'm here, too. And if you need to talk about it, we share that similar experience and there's power in that conversation. Like you said, you know, around the kitchen table, those conversations we have around the kitchen table, um, you said it's genetic. So, you know, it's a, a chemistry imbalance in the brain. And does that mean it comes from someone else in your family who should have been diagnosed with this, who was who knows how they might've been treated going back that far in time. Um, but nobody talked about it. So you didn't know that your great aunt or your great uncle might've had these similar experiences and they don't know how to equate it. The past right, to the present either. Right. With yeah. Especially, you know, looking back to a time when, you know, that just, that just, either wasn't talked about or it didn't exist and yes it was handed down to me by my father although interestingly enough I I never really knew my father he left when I was two but <clears throat> through conversations with my mother and um, things that I've learned over the years he had all the characteristics of someone with bipolar disorder um and he he was i was the only child by um this man and so all my other siblings are you know fine well i don't know if they're all fine but they're they they do not have the disorder so and because we didn't talk about it it's interesting of having to go back and piece their personalities together in order to understand why yours is this way and the effects they still have oh yes yeah i, I wish i had known him you know so <clears throat> i think that would have helped me understand better but it took a long time you know nancy i mean you know as i talked about earlier the depression that started at 13, um, the self-hatred that grew and the rages and the self-destructive behavior and the paralysis I suffered during long periods of depression, you know, not understanding what was happening to me, um, just, you know, I, I just, hate the thought of another person going through what I went through. And that's why we have the conversations. I have a question for you. If you could say something to your younger self, 
to give yourself some sort of sign or signal or I don't know, a message? What would you say? What would you say to the young people out there today dealing with something they can't understand or anyone out there who they're dealing with something they can't understand? What would be the message? That's a good question. I need to think for a moment. If I could say something to myself that I would have believed at the time is you know, that I'm worthy of love, that I have extreme potential, that I do need help. <laughs> you know, I think realizing whether someone helps you realize it or um, forces you to realize it, um, you know, reaching that point, you know, taking a look at, at you know, your past and what you the experiences you've been having do that do you feel that there is something going on that's um that's limiting your ability to fully function and to um find happiness and joy in moments um that should be joyful for you um if if you're not if you don't if you're having trouble, um, if you're experiencing sadness or, you know, what you would say is sadness, that um, it becomes more and more severe, uh, you know, you need, you need to talk to someone that's, you know, you need to find out and be willing to open up to someone that that has the potential to help you. Um, I, you know, I wish I had gotten the help so much earlier. It would have saved me a lot of misery in my life. And um, I, I would want to save anyone else that misery. It's yeah. the earlier it's we seek it, the better we'll be better for it. And um, the faster we'll be better for it, the sooner yeah. in our lives. We can't get, we can't heal if we don't realize we need to heal. And, and I think, you know, it, the education, um, it, it, it needs to be understood by everyone. I mean, parents should be aware of what's going on with their child because um, bipolar usually appears, um, the, the, um, symptoms of bipolar can begin to appear as early. Well, adolescence is normal, but the, it can begin to appear in childhood, as with me. Um, for some people, it takes years before there are enough of the symptoms to um, realize that there, there's something more serious going on than just, uh, I got the blues, or um, I'm so angry, I don't know what I, you know, what I'm going to do, that kind of thing. So the education factor is, is, is a great, great need. That's interesting, the education factor. We have to learn how to be better listeners. That's where we begin, right? I, I always feel the greatest gift you can give another person is to listen to them and to hear them. 
they can't help it. And because it's not normal, they, they internally think something's wrong. And, you know, so, you know, it, I had to learn, Nancy, that even though I had this disorder, I have this disorder, I am still a loving, compassionate, um, creative person. And realizing that really helped me get to the point where I am now. So if I made those things clear, because, you know, that's, that's my goal for speaking out is, you know, to maybe help people better understand whether they're suffering from it or whether they're watching a loved one suffer from it. Yeah, I think you covered it very well. Thank you very much. Thank you, Nancy. I, I so appreciate the opportunity to talk about this. Um, and I hope I've done a good enough job to maybe help somebody else talk about it. Starting the conversation, that's what matters the most. <laughs> Great. Right. I really do appreciate this so much. Okay. Thank and you. Thank you for listening to this conversation. Talking about mental illness is not an easy thing to talk about, but maybe if we learn to talk about the hard stuff, it won't be so hard to talk about. No problem ever fixed itself without being talked about, without somebody doing something about it. Let's be the ones who do something about listening. change the world together. You can find links to Sherry and her work in the show notes. This is Nancy Arvizu, and you've been listening to Write, Speak, Play.